Hi there, and God bless you. I'm Brian Hallam. I pray that this message is a blessing to you. Thank you for downloading it, and thank you for following me on Twitter and Instagram and for liking and sharing what we post there. I just want you to know that I believe God wants to do something great in your life and in your family. So as we go into the Word today, let's go in with faith and hope and a high level of expectation for what God is going to do in your life. Amen. Look at the person next to you, tell them they look skinny, and you can be seated in the house of God. Come on, tell them even if you have to bend the truth a little bit. I want to mention uh, this Wednesday night we have a very special guest. Dr. Tim Story will be at New Heights Church, and it is going to be a great service. So if you can be here, I strongly encourage you to move your schedule around to where you can. We've been talking the last few weeks about expecting God to do something good. Somehow, God meets us at the level of our expectation. We have a part to play. We have a role to play. And God himself has this uncanny ability to deliver for you and me. But so many times, it is the expectation of a person that determines at what level they will experience God. So this morning, I want to talk from one of the most popular scriptures in the whole Bible, uh, John 3.16. It's easily one of the most recognizable scriptures in the Bible. There's a man that travels around sporting events and he, he, he's known for dressing uh, real crazy and wearing a sign and holding up a sign that says John 3.16 and he'll do it behind the goalposts at football games. He'll do it behind the home plate uh, at baseball games. And he does it everywhere because John 3.16 is one of the most uh, widely quoted scriptures in our whole Bible. And, and it says this, For God... So loved the world. And it it continues, but I want to stop for a minute. God cannot define nor describe accurately where you and I would understand how much he loves. So he has to describe the level of love with an infinite word. In other words, he can't say, I love the world this much. He has to literally just say he so loves the world. It's like your favorite uh, uh, well, I'll talk about my favorite. It's like your favorite pizza. Where, where I like to eat pizza is anywhere pizza is, okay? That's my favorite pizza. But there's this place in the Woodlands, Texas called Grimaldi's. And if you've never been to Grimaldi's, I strongly encourage you to go to Grimaldi's. I do not work for Grimaldi's. They are not endorsing me, but I am strongly endorsing them, glory to God. They have an oven that they still heat with, with, with coal. So it's a coal-fired oven. And they make their own uh, pizza dough and they flatten it out and they spin it and they put the one... I'm getting so hungry thinking about this. They put the, the tomato sauce on the pizza dough and then they take the homemade mozzarella cheese that they have and, and they put it on there and, and they don't sh- uh, grade the mozzarella. They literally just pull off chunks and throw chunks of mozzarella cheese on it. 
And then they take the pepperonis, and this is not like the pepperonis that, that, you, that, that you typically run into. These things are like little tiny pepperonis that are, that are cut, and when they, when they cook, they kind of they form this little, this little bowl which holds all the gravy in the bowl, this little pepperoni bowl, and then they bring it to your table, and, and they, 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 they cut it when, before they get it there, and they say, can I put one on your plate, sir? I'm like, yeah, bless God, put two or three on there. So they put a piece of pizza on my plate, and then without exception I do the same thing every time I take a bite and it burns the top of my mouth but that pizza is so good I could not describe to you how good the pizza is without just saying look I don't even know it is just so good the Bible says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, His only begotten Son. Now, begotten is a fancy word from the King James Bible, but it literally just means the only one. One. So it's saying God gave the only Son He had. I can't describe to you how much I love you, so I have to just say I so love you that I did this. So, have you ever, I, I remember, I remember uh, Crystal, and, and, and she used to work at this place down in Houston when we lived there, and, and there was like four desks uh, close together in these cubicle deals, and there were these three girls close to her, and these three girls, they, they all had guys that were like just not that good at guys, and they would talk, and they, the guy did this, the guy did that, and it was all these problems, and, 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 and except on Valentine's Day. On Valentine's Day, these guys so loved the girls that they would bring them full-size teddy bears. They would bring them roses and, and perfumes and all of this stuff. So the way that they showed their love on that one specific day would be they so loved that they gave them something. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son number one if you're taking notes love always gives love gives the benefit of the doubt love gives forgiveness and doesn't hold grudges love gives a compliment even when they don't deserve it love gives uh, a, a second chance when a second chance is not deserved sometimes Love is giving by nature. And God, in an effort to describe to you how much he loves you, the Bible says that he gave, he so loved you that he exchanged, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever. Whosoever means everybody and anybody everybody and anybody God so loved the world the world that turned its back on him the world that chose the sustenance of a piece of fruit over relationship with the creator of the universe he so loved the world that he gave his only son on the chance that everybody and anybody would believe on him and have everlasting life. The Bible continues to say in verse 17, it says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him 
might be saved. God did not send Jesus to the world to pronounce judgment on the world. God sent Jesus to the world as the greatest olive branch, the greatest peace treaty in the history of humanity to try to extend the hand of hope and opportunity to a bleeding and dying generation, to a bleeding and dying world. He said, I didn't send Jesus to judge people. I sent Jesus to rescue people. The Bible says he did not send his son here to condemn you he sent his son here to save you he wants you and me to spend eternity with him in heaven he wants you and me to spend eternity with him in a place where there's no sickness where he wipes every tear from your eye where your friends and family would be there to greet you he wants you and me to know that Jesus was not a death sentence but Jesus is in fact life everlasting to those who will believe it Verse 18 continues on and says, He that believes on him, that's Jesus, he that believes on Jesus is not condemned. Say, that's me. me. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Say, that's them. No, don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the one and only, the only begotten, the one and only Son of God. In other words, this idea of choose, yet there was a song uh, that George Strait used to sing, uh, or King George, depending on what part of Texas you're from. He used to sing uh, this song about passing a note in class, and it says, uh, check yes or no. Do you love me? Do you want to be my friend? (laughs) If you do, darling, don't be afraid to take me. Is that the right song? I don't even know. Check yes or no. It gets there somewhere. But it's like this choice. Do you want this or do you want that? And Christianity and becoming a Christian and knowing Jesus Christ is nothing like that. We are not offering a check yes or no to people. If you do not believe on Jesus, the scripture says you are condemned already. In other words, we have to understand and get a proper picture of what evangelism is. Evangelism is you and me looking and, 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 and trying to win a bleeding and dying generation. Christianity is not a poll, check, check yes or no. Christianity is a rescue mission because if they do not believe on Jesus, they are already condemned. You and me were once there. We used to be at the place where it was, I don't know, I'm not sure, where is Jesus? Where does he fit into my life? And then all of a sudden, somebody or something, maybe it was on television, you were watching a show and somebody with crazy hair was preaching and it just happened on the inside of you that it just pricked your heart like the book of Acts says. It pricked your heart and all of a sudden something shifted and now you become what you were not. You become a new creature in Christ and all of a sudden you go from being condemned to now you you're not condemned. It was never a choice like you woke up and said, you know what, I think I would like to go to hell. As a matter of fact, I've never talked to one person that said they'd like to go to hell. I've never met one person that said, you know what, hell seems like it's not going to be too bad. Hell will be horrible. Hell was never designed for people. Somebody say amen in the library. Hell was not designed for people. 
There is a guy up in heaven, if you can call him a guy, named Lucifer. He was the praise and worship leader in heaven. Do you love our worship team at all? Don't they do a good job? He was the praise and worship leader in heaven. And one day he looked over at Jesus and he said, Man, I think I can sing better than Jesus. Jesus sitting over at the right hand of his dad on the throne. He says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to start me a little movement and I'm going to ascend to the side of the north and I will be seated next to the Most High and I'm going to take over this whole thing. You see, Lucifer, the Bible says, he was covered in beautiful stones and jewels. And everywhere he went, he just radiated. Kind of flamboyant. Sounds like a worship leader, doesn't it? Everywhere he went, he just radiated. Whenever the wind blew, it blew through him and song and noise just came out of it. He was like the great choir director of heaven. And he decided he was going to ascend to the side of the north. And literally, when the overthrow tried to take place, the Bible says that God himself grabbed him with his mighty right hand and flung him down like lightning from the sky. There was no big crazy war in heaven. God said, get out, and he was gone. And God said, now I need a place to keep this rascal and all these other rascals that went with him. And hell was concocted, a place of never-ceasing fire, a place where there is no air, a place where you can never have another drink of water, a place where you will never eat Grimaldi's pizza. I repent again, Lord. I will just, just to make sure. Hell was never designed for you. The problem is, if you don't believe in Jesus, you are condemned already. You don't choose, oh, I think I want to go to hell. No, if you don't choose Jesus, to not choose is to have chosen. The Bible says if you're lukewarm, he will, he will spit you out. The Bible says what, what good thing is lukewarm? Nothing is good lukewarm. You either want ice cold tea or hot soup. You don't want lukewarm soup or lukewarm tea. Cold tea will quench your thirst and hot soup will warm you when you're cold. But lukewarm does nothing for you at any time. God says if you're lukewarm, if you don't choose, you've already made a decision. He says it's better for you to have never known than to know and turn away from him. Man, this is heavy on a Sunday morning. Hell was never designed for you. Hell was designed for Lucifer and one-third of heaven that decided to rebel. And they will spend eternity there. So will many people. Not because God wants that to happen. On the exact contrary, He didn't send His Son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. The scripture says if you don't believe, then you're condemned already. But here's the situation. This rescue mission that we're on, we have to recognize that Jesus is one of the great miracles. He is the greatest miracle because the more you give him away, the more you experience him. The more you choose to give him to somebody else, the more grace you extend, the more grace you receive. The Bible says if you don't forgive somebody else, you will not be forgiven. Yikes! 
I don't think that counts for people who cut you off in traffic, though. I'm, it counts if they cut you off and at least they wave. But if they don't wave... The Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to heaven but through him. So for you and for me, it's absolutely critical and imperative that we understand we are on a rescue mission and withholding Christ will cause you to experience less of him, but giving him away will cause you to experience more of him. You and me are great ambassadors of a kingdom, of a region, of an environment that we will taste one day, but we're supposed to be bringing that environment here. We're supposed to be extending who Christ is to us, to other people. And if you recognize it's a rescue mission, you see, the more you know about Jesus the more you want to give him away. That's why being in the house of God is so important because once a week, twice a week, if you can make it on Wednesdays, we are going to talk about the goodness of God. And when you hear about the goodness of God, something resonates on the inside of you because even before you said yes to Jesus, you would recognize your father's voice when you heard it. Your father's voice is the word of the living God. You were formed, you were made in his likeness and in his image. In my house, we have a certain dialect. We have a certain tone that we speak. When I get in my house, my children, now 10, 8, and 5, 10, 8, and 5, <laughs> they literally talk like Crystal and me. Thank God they talk more like her than me. But they literally, they say what we say. They laugh about what they think we would laugh about. Because there's a certain dialect, there's a certain dialogue that takes place. It's because there is a voice that resonates on the inside of them because we made them and enjoyed it, I might add. <laughs> I don't even know. Is my face red? they recognize the voice of their parents. It's different in your house. It's different in my house. So when God speaks, you already hear him and you already recognize him. Even before you said yes to him, you knew who he was because he knew you before you were formed in your mom's belly, in your mom's womb. He knows everything about you even now. And his whole intention is to seek and save you and those that you care about. It's such a different thing when you recognize that the more you give him away, the more you will experience. And the more you experience, the more you want to give him away. And the more you give him away the more you experience. And now you develop this cycle of you becoming the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ in this environment who was sent not to bring judgment to the world, but to literally rescue a world that was bleeding 
and dying. Please let me have just the keys. This morning's first service, I wrestled so strong with what I'm about to say. And I almost didn't say it. I wrestled all week with it. So I'll try to get through it. But the only way to know the value of something is to know how much somebody is willing to pay for it. So if you're buying, say, a car, the price that you would pay for the car is what is, that is the value of the car. Now, they can put a sticker price on the car, but how many of you know you're not paying sticker for the car when you go into? That's a starting point. So the value of the car is what somebody will pay for the car, whether you're selling it or whether you're buying it. Here's another example. If you walk into a store and there's a shirt for $100 and you like it, but you do not feel like the value of that shirt to you is worth $100 of your money, then you don't buy it. So the value of the shirt, they may want the value to be $100, but the value is not $100. Then you go in next week, the shirt's still hanging there, and it's now 25% off, and it's $75. And you say, well, I still like the shirt, but that shirt's not worth $75 to me. So the value of the shirt's not $75. Then you go in the next week, and now it's 75% off. The shirt's 25 bucks instead of $100. And immediately, your wife grabs your credit card, swipes that thing, and throws it in the bag. Now we're making money. You know what I'm saying? But the value of the shirt to you was $25. Even though they wanted to say it was worth more, and maybe to somebody else, they would have only given $10. Or maybe somebody wouldn't have even given $5 for the shirt. So the value would be depleted for that person. So the value of an item is what somebody is willing to pay. So when God decided to rescue us and he put a value on our heads, the value is what God was willing to pay for you and me. And the scripture says, God so loved the world that he paid, he gave his one and only son that the world through him might, just might, maybe, high hope they will accept him. But the price was set. The blood of God's only Son was the price he's willing to pay for you and for me. I have three children, Haley, Walker Lee, and Trinity. Two girls and one boy. There are many people in this room that I care about very much. But I would not give my child up for any of y'all. Not one, I have three. I don't have one and only. I have three. And I wouldn't give my child, I wouldn't give them up, I would not sacrifice one of my children for any of you. And I love you, I really do. The Bible says, no greater love does a man have than he lay down his life for another. I would lay my life down for you. I would jump in front of a bullet, I really would. But I'm not giving you my children. I have one son. He's eight. 
He has a smile that lights up a room. If you tell him you're sick, he'll pray for you. He doesn't like vegetables. He loves chicken nuggets. He loves to ride on the tractor with his daddy. He never lets his mother leave the house without hugging her. Every morning he wakes up happy and full of joy. Typically he falls asleep in less than five minutes. Sleeps like a baby until 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning. He loves hunting and fishing, baseball, basketball, and golf. He considers himself the protector of his two sisters. He never lets them go anywhere alone. He does not like Trinity to walk in the tall grass by herself because, Daddy, there might be a snake. And if there was, he would kill it. He's gotten so big now that he'll pick his little sister up and carry her over water puddles and upstairs if and she's just putting on. She can jump over him or climb the thing. But she's like, Walker, can you help me? He's like, yeah. He's a good brother. He's a real good brother. He likes to sit in the same spot at dinner. It's right to the right of me. And at dinner time at our house, either him or Trinity will always say, Daddy, will you tell us a Bible story? When he goes to bed... Part of our routine is his mother sings a song to him, and then I come in there and sing a much better song to him. <laughs> when I sing, I hold him as tight as I can without thinking I'm going to hurt him, you know. He holds me right back. We sing this song. Jesus, lover of my soul, Jesus, I will never let you go. You've taken me from the miry clay, set my feet upon a rock, now I know I love you, I need you. Though my world may fall, I'll never let you go. You're my Savior, my closest friend. I will worship you until the very end. And I squeeze him one more good time. I tickle him. I go out of the room. Then it all starts over again the next day. All of my children, I'm just talking about him today because it's easy, but all of them have the same story with me. I, I could not put into English how I love them. I could just tell you that I so love them. And there's nothing I would not do for them. There's no distance I wouldn't travel. There's no adversary I would not confront.
There is nothing that I could think of that I would not do for my child. But if just for a moment, and I'll only do it for a moment because there's certain things that I will not allow to come into my mind. But if just for the shortest of moments, if I tried to figure out the value that I would place on the life of one of my children, the exchange, what I would exchange one of my offspring for, my son who loves pizza and golf and ping pong and laughing and singing, even though not in front of people. The one who, since he was born, he has preached some of the greatest sermons I've ever heard in my life with conviction and, and, and simplicity, even at a young age. If I was going to entertain the idea, what value would I place on the life of my child? Anybody and everybody on the planet that has ever been born and ever will be born would be the foundation. It would be the starting point. I would not exchange my child unless I had a promise that every single person who would choose him could come with me. I would not even consider the thought of laying his life down unless nobody would be excluded. I would not consider laying the life of my child down unless the payment was so grand and so eternal and so overwhelming that nobody and nothing would be left out unless they wanted to be left out. I would not lay my life, my son's life down just so you could go to heaven. I would not lay my son's life down just so you could have five more minutes of peace. I would only even consider it if you not only had life eternal in the next life, but you would also have to have life more abundant in this life. I would not even consider laying him down. And I never would. This is just, if we're going to entertain the thought for just a moment, and I'm about to come out of it, because I can't tell you how I feel on the inside right now just saying these words. The concept of willingly laying down your offspring for somebody else. And then we have the audacity to look at God As if there was something he wanted to withhold from us. We would have the audacity to look at the king of all glory. And think that there is something he would not freely give. If God be for us, who can be against us? He who would not withhold His only begotten Son, what would He not freely give you and me? If you're not right with God, we're going to fix that in just a minute. But you've got to get a new perspective. And you have to expect God to do something good in your life because He's never done anything bad. He sent His Son... His Son to pay the price 
for you and for me. And if that was not enough evidence to convince you that he would, would hold, he would withhold nothing from you, then you cannot be convinced. Please bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here today and you're not right with God, you're not living right, you're not doing right, Jesus is not Lord of your life. Maybe you would say it differently. You would say, I used to walk strong with God, but I'm backslidden. I'm like the prodigal son, and I just want to come home. If that's you, and I count to three, I want you to lift your hand, and with an uplifted hand, you're simply saying, oh God, remember me. And he really, really will. He will wrap you in arms that never fail. He will cover all of your faults. He will extinguish all of your insecurities. And he will replace them with strength that's only found in him. He didn't withhold the one thing that has the greatest value to him. Therefore, the fact that he was willing to pay that price means that's the value he sees in you. If that's you today and you're not right with God, when I count to three, I want you to lift your hand and with an uplifted hand, you're simply saying, Lord, me. Remember me. One, nobody's looking around. One, two, three. Lift it up. I see that hand, 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 thank you, I see that hand, thank you. We'll wait just another moment, is there anyone else? Thank you. There's two ladies here. I could point you out, but I won't do it because it's not my style. But the Lord is saying this. You lift your hand, and I'm going to lift that burden. One, two, three, lift it up. There you are, and there you are. Let's all stand to our feet in the presence of the Lord you lifted your hand or you wanted to, I want you to pray this prayer after me. As a matter of fact, church, help us pray. Say, oh God, I come to you now and I ask you to save me. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm a Christian now. I'm valuable. I'm set free. On my way to heaven, and I'll get the abundant life here. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Give God a big hand of praise. Come on. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you'd like more information about Pastor Brian or New Heights Church, visit newheightschurch.info and be sure to follow Pastor Brian on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, thank you so much for liking and sharing.